sometimes when we talk about actually making sure the planning and the thinking slowly is in there, it is to counterbalance the, the rushing where, where you, you, you focus just on moving fast, but to help people look at velocity rather than, than speed. Velocity is speed in a given direction, speed in the right direction. And if you do a little bit of planning and you get the right brains to do it, you can continue to move fast, but just make sure you're moving in the right direction. tech industry has long talked about moving fast, but it's not just the pace you move at, but direction that is critical to your success, as you've just heard from Sophie Devonshire, the CEO of Caffeine Partnership and today's guest. Welcome to Tech Talks. My name's David Savage. This is the twice-weekly podcast hosted to talk about the latest challenges facing emerging digital and tech businesses and getting expert insight from leading figures. Whether you're into the space or just listening for the love of tech, this is for you. Hiya, Jack. Hello, David. How are you feeling today? Feeling much better, thank you. Much better. I'm over my serious case of man flu earlier in the week and I'm back fighting fit again. It's okay. The, the listeners enjoyed the pleasures of, um, of Joe Rowe and uh, Robin standing in for you. This monster we've created can, um, can still thrive without us, Dave. <laughs> well, that's going to have to be the case next week because uh, Thursday's episode, I'm going to be sunning myself in Tuscany. So, uh, Well, listeners, if you can remember back to last year when Josie and I hosted the show and Dave got very drunk and was messaging us about it. It was it was a fun time. Yeah, are you looking looking forward to taking the reins? Yeah, I like I like adopting the Dave role. It, um it, it's it's a bit more of a powerful role to be in when you're on the show. <laughs> I, I don't jest. Think that's I thing. jest. No, anyway, no, no. You got you got any plans this this weekend? Are you are you absorbing yourself in the ashes or are you going to have half a, half an eye on the fact that the rest of the football league other than the premiership is kicking off? Um, both of those. I mean, I've watched every minute of the ashes so far, so I hope my boss isn't listening to this because I've got my Sky Go app on the go in the corner of my screen. Um, Football League starts. Obviously, I hold Portsmouth and Colchester very dear to my heart, but I'm actually downing uh, Southampton this weekend visiting Rosie's grandparents. So it's going to be very much checking the old Viddy printers on the phone rather than watching it to say. Now, in today's interview, Sophie Devonshire talks about handling pace with grace. You know who's handling pace um, with grace? Joe Root. Pierre-Emerick Ab- Oh, I was going to say Pierre-Emerick Abemian, <laughs> but we can, go, we can go with Joe Root as well. He's looking like a stalwart on this uh, Friday morning that we're recording. He is. It's been a very, it's been a, an attritional, attritional session of cr- good cricket. I'd say that's good cricket. Anyway. He's, they're playing like adults. So, I mean, touch words. The Aussies are as passionate as ever. I mean... Steve Smith is a cheat, first and foremost, but I did feel good for him yesterday. Because we all know Warner was the one that implemented it all. He was the sandpaper merchant. I was speaking to my friend in Australia. He says everyone in Australia hates Warner. So it's nice to know that we all hate Warner. But Steve Smith, he's a nice guy. He's the boy next door. You know, he was working with his local cricket club over his ban. And it was just nice for him. I mean, it wasn't nice for us because if we didn't get that 100 30 odd we'd be in a great position but I did feel for him like everyone deserves a shot at redemption and that was Mm. one of his steps towards it yesterday well look cricket is all about changes of pace and editing and (sighs) it's it's a hey look this this is seamless today it's a wonderful seamless even that is cricket it's a wonderful introduction to Sophie Devinger's uh, interview she is the CEO of the Caffeine Partnership she is the author of Superfast Lead at Speed. Uh, so we're going to hand over to that interview now, but stay tuned. Myself and Jack will have some 
sensible commentary uh, afterwards, and then we'll have a quick bit of technology news to kickstart your week with. So today we're chatting to Sophie. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Good How are you? Here. I'm great. So we, we first met at a Women in Tech event back at the end of, well, it was awesome last year, wasn't it? And you were just about to publish. Had it been published? Had it hit the shelves at that point? No, I th- it came out in September right. 2018. So Super Fast Lead at Speed, mm-hmm. which is your first book? It is my first book, yes. Fine. Before we get into that... Let's do a bit of context setting. You're the CEO of the Caffeine Partnership, is that right? That's right. Who are the Caffeine Partnership? So Caffeine Partnership are a team of advisors and we work with senior leaders Mm -hmm. uh, to accelerate their business. Um, We look particularly at the brand, the organisation brand, uh, business development and leadership acceleration. And we look at everything with a sense of purpose and a sense of pace. So we look particularly at purpose and values. Been around for... Nearly 12 years now, mm. um, and I've been involved for the last four years, and our mission is all about stimulating business, which is why caffeine's quite a good name for us. So the book, Lead at Speed, would mm-hmm. have an obvious tie into what you're trying to do as a business. I'm, I'm guessing this has been a very good marketing tool as well for the consultancy in a, in, a, in a roundabout way, but I would assume at the same time that's not the sole purpose for writing it. Well, the, the interesting thing was, there was, it was probably um, a couple of years ago, and what I was finding was that so many of my clients or friends of mine who had senior roles in business were saying the same thing to me over mm. and over again. They were saying, we operate in this incredible world right now with the democratization and the access and the technological compound interest equivalent of, of exponential growth. There's so much we can do and the world's moving so fast, but my business is so slow. And they were frustrated that they couldn't take the opportunities their competitors were. They were really frustrated by the speed of things. Mm. Then at the same time, there were lots of people talking to me about the same super fast rate of change and seeing it as huge pressure on them, on their roles, on their lives. And they were just exhausted. So there were people who were excited and impatient and people who were exhausted and actually often the same people at the same time. Yeah. So originally it wasn't intended as a book. Originally I was, wanted to just research how leadership had evolved, what 21st century leadership looked like in a crazy, fast-paced, hugely uh, exciting but exhausting world. Mm. Um, and as I started to bring together some tools and techniques from speaking to people, it seemed to be a great way to share it in a book um, and uh, get the message out there. Had you written before? We write a lot, a lot in caffeine in terms of opinion pieces. And sure, whatever. but there's, and there's a difference between two, 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 three thousand word opinion pieces and, I mean, this is, let's just double check, it's over 300 pages long. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you what, it's, it's a bit like um, becoming a parent writing right. a book, right? The experience is something where beforehand you go, how hard can it be, right? It's just a few blogs put together. Um, and you totally underestimate it as you do with parenthood. And it's quite fun at the start of it all, but then it gets rapidly very, very painful in pulling it together. But obviously, in both cases, totally worth it. Um, And I'm really happy to have written the book because it's allowed me to have some really interesting conversations with people. um, And I hope that it is something that actually helps people because I think we live in amazing times. And I think the opportunities for leadership right now are huge. um, And to try and find some ways to navigate the change of pace for everybody um, feels really important. What's really interesting is is you sent me over some information obviously prior to sitting down Uh, and when you're talking about leadership in in the 21st century you've you've got a line here how do how do leaders or I'm assuming when you've got put they they here you mean organizations or leaders but how do they handle pace with grace Mm -hmm. what do you mean by that? 
Well, this is one of the important aspects of the book. I spoke to over a hundred different leaders mm. across the globe um, and I work with lots of different people. And I don't think that in today's world you need to be a hideous person to succeed in business. Yeah. But a lot of the battles for people who are wanting to move up or progress within business is how you get performance and how you accelerate growth and how you achieve results in a way without being, can I say, asshole on, on yeah, podcast? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, there's not a watershed on podcasting. <laughs> yeah, before, I didn't think but, so. you know. My mother wouldn't like it, but, <laughs> um, but, but it's true. Um, you know, can nice people move fast? Can, um, can you be, and this actually gets back to one of the, one of the big challenges um, for people we're speaking to right now. Uh, in a fast paced world, how can you be responsive so you get all the opportunities for your business so you succeed, so you grab things before your competitive, competitors do, but also responsible. Mm. So responsible to your employees, to the culture, to the people you work with, responsible to society and community as a whole, and responsible for yourself as well, because there is such a risk of, of burnout and um, and challenges there. So there's sort of a very human element to the research in the book and how we do it. Um, and finding a way to navigate that um, is a way that people feel that they can respect themselves as well was, was clearly one of the challenges for lots of people. It's interesting because I'm hosting a panel in a couple of weeks time. By the time this comes out, it'll probably be around the time that uh, the panel's going on actually, it's Unbound. And the panel is, will tech save the world? I'm kind of to your point that, can you be a technology leader without being an arsehole? You would, would kind of suggest that people have to think about what they're building in a much more nuanced and, and responsible way. And funnily enough, in your book, you talk about being responsive and responsible, and you've written the line that, you know, I believe in the transformative power for business to be economic, social, uh, sorry, for economic, social, and personal good. Do you think most people get that? Is that is that a message that is beginning to filter through the, the industry? But where are we at on that curve of kind of people going, actually, instead of this being about profit and shareholders, it's now about our impact on society? I think there's a huge grounds for optimism around that. And right now, I think things are absolutely changing and moving fast, but in the right direction. Hmm. So you have... Um, the point about you know, the role of technology versus the role of, of people is a question so many people are looking at. And what makes me sad is that I think there are lots of people who are very cynical about business's role in society. And the more people I meet who inside organisations who are really intelligent, decent people, the more you realise actually the impact that business can have on shaping our world and society is increasingly important, especially when there is a void in terms of how people feel about political leaders and governments at the moment, mm. the, the role for business becomes more important. But this point about um, technology and, and the ethics of it all is being raised, but more than that, the question of purpose versus profit, getting the pace right so you move fast enough to bring in the oxygen of, of cash to keep the businesses running, um, but also building sustainable businesses that will support people and do good is a question that most far-sighted humans are thinking about. And I think the most uh, skillful and impressive leaders I've met, they do understand technology and they understand the role it has in speeding up communication, in making things easier for people, in playing a really positive role. But at the same time, they have incredible human understanding as well. Mm. They 
spend time developing their EQ and understanding their customer and understanding what's happening in society. And I think if you are over-indexing and just excitement about what technology can do and not understanding that everything has unintended consequences, both positive and negative, then that's where you potentially run some risks. Now you talk there about purpose. Mm -hmm. There seems to be a lot of very well-meaning conversation going on in the industry, but there are are some obvious challenges. And your book says that 90% of of question leaders believed in the importance of purpose in an organisation, but only 46% said it informed their strategic and operational decision-making. So what are the challenges that stop purpose being at the heart of, of, of an organisation's mission. And, and that's absolutely where the gap is, because the intention is there for lots of people to create a vision, to create a mission, to create a sense of purpose, um, and to deliver some meaning in terms of what they do. But there's this huge gap between somebody writing it down and it being put on a wall and it being put into practice. And that might be because uh, people misunderstand it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of um, uh, using purpose just as a, an advertising and marketing tool, which has led to a huge backlash against it. Um, for me, purpose inside an organisation is a clarity in terms of the why, the aspirational reason for being. You know, people talk about mission-led companies, it's the same thing. And those people who get it right articulate it in a way where they take what matters most to their audience and what matters most inside the organisation and bring it together. Mm. And then they use it both as a filter and a foundation. So it filters decision-making, it's a foundation for innovation, it's a framework for everybody inside the organisation, it's a framework for communications, but it has to be lived, you know, beyond being on a mug um, and on the walls. Uh, It has to be lived and modelled by the senior leaders. Yeah. Now, you have... Yeah, I've got, you, look, you've got a quote in here that I love. The first draft, draft sorry, the first draft of everything is shit, mm. Ernest Hemingway. And, and you said here, to lead at speed, you need to be an effective editor. Mm. And look, that, that does ring true. When I speak to a lot of people, uh, and, I, and I say, well, you know, what are your tips for getting started? We had Fintech Insiders on the podcast a little while ago. Yeah. Uh, they obviously have a really successful Fintech podcast. And I said to, to David Breer, the 11FS CEO, what would your tip be? And he said, don't worry, the first 10 episodes are shit. Um, <laughs> so that, that really does ring true. Why is editing so important? Kind of building on that beyond just the kind of the glib the glib quotes, I guess. Well, I guess there's two parts to it. There's, there's that point that actually getting started, um, you know, done is better than perfect and you can um, polish and develop something as you go. That's often something that holds back organisations and people. They don't feel they can get things out there mm. until it's perfect. Um, and perfectionism, I think, is, is absolutely the enemy of anybody wanting to move at pace because you don't know until you get something out and get the feedback whether it's going to succeed. So there's that side of it all. Um, but then the editing, the curating, the choosing, the ruthless prioritisation is essential. We operate in a world where there is so much choice, so much knowledge, so much data, so many opportunities. And inside each organisation, everybody is also hugely distracted by all the shiny new things. A strong leader is the one that helps everybody focus. So um, uh, Mike Parker, who's the CEO of Nike, um, talks about the fact he came in and and there were 350 projects going on and he cut them down to 50. And he said, you know, we're not short of great ideas. We're an ideas-rich organisation. But the ability to edit and amplify is critical. 
So he pointed out that if you focus on a fewer things, you can then amplify them, you can get them right, you can do more with them. Um, it also keeps people focused on um, things moving in the right direction. Like that, um, is it in Up, the movie where the, the dog's kind of squirrel and yes. gets distracted? You know, we are all you know, distracted by lots of great new ideas. Um, but the ability to edit them down, to edit down the messages as well, so that when you're communicating internally, there's a very clear focus for everybody. So just to jump in, do, do you think this is why organisations fail when they try and innovate? Because we, we go to, to conferences now, and people start talking about innovation, everyone rolls their eyes, because it's like we've been talking about innovation for years, mm. but innovation is still not done very, very successfully in most organisations. Yeah, and it's a huge problem, because of course everybody wants that. And um, I think people need to understand what innovation really means for mm. them and to find ways to do it. And that's that's why it's frustrating. If you spend time with um, startups who are great at exploring new things and making them happen, and then you go into companies with heft and scale and budgets and they can't make things happen. So I think there's a huge number of different ways of looking at it. One is to edit things down to focus in a certain area. Now, of course, if you're innovating, you are experimenting, but doing it against certain objectives, you know, allowing the focus. The other is just frankly, a lot of the reason I think most companies struggle with innovation is too many cooks, too many complexities, too many decisions to be made, as well as the fear of actually making those decisions. Yeah. So some of the most interesting people I spoke to um, created uh, breakout um, parts to their organisation. So think about jet skis on the side of a super tanker. Um, HomeServe, great organisation, really interesting to look at. Not one you necessarily associate with innovation straight away. They're you know a, a, an interesting company to look at, but they created a shed where they sent their A-list of people and said, innovate. And they developed LeakBot, which mm. is their insurance and, and you know home repairs company. And LeakBot identifies where there is a leak in your house. It's an amazing bit of innovation. And they developed it from nothing to successful implementation in two years, which is actually a wow. relatively short period of time. Because they'd dedicated the best people to focus on that area. They took them out of the business. I think, frankly, the main reason innovation often fails is on the side of someone's desk. You know, it's the bottom of their list and it's blowing hard to do. So you need to give it the focus and the space and you need to edit so people are focusing. Your book does talk about the pace race mm -hmm. quite a bit and it says being fast doesn't always mean being first and you give some great examples, you know, Gillette and uh, Star, uh, Polaroid and uh, De Brony. and and I suppose the fact that I'd heard not heard of Star and De Brony <laughs> illustrates that point rather wonderfully. And Facebook, um, Facebook not first. Yeah, absolutely. But there is a huge amount of pressure on startups to get to market first, and I kind of feel like the whole infrastructure of the um, of the ecosystem. I hate the word ecosystem, but anything else is failing me. <laughs> but the whole infrastructure for startups to succeed is built around. You've got six months. You're in this accelerator. You're going to get, you know, you're going to have a demo day at the end and pitch for further invest, uh, investment, etc. Is get to market, get to market, yeah. get to market. But your book says that pausing to plan is really important. Is the environment a little bit set up in a way that doesn't necessarily help startups? Well, I, I, on the one hand, I would say that deadlines do deliver. Mm. You know, and again. That's one of the reasons why bigger companies don't innovate because it's not as urgent. The sense of urgency, urgency that you get with that startup ecosystem actually can be incredibly helpful. Um, the uh, who is this? So Sam Altman from Y Combinator talks to startups and says, you know, be fast because it's your ultimate competitive edge versus the big companies. Yeah. So they do need to get that pace out there. But the point about 
pausing to plan is you're not stopping. You don't actually have to completely slow everything down and delay it all. There are smart ways in which you can think slowly, but do it um, in a uh, way that has both rigor and vigor. So for example, um, you, you know what it's like when you get 10 brilliant brains in a room for two hours, give them a focused set of questions to discuss and debate how much you can achieve when it's well planned in that kind of session versus endless you know, weekly meetings going on and going on. So sometimes when we talk about actually making sure the planning and the thinking slowly is in there, it is to counterbalance the, the rushing where, where you, you, you focus just on moving fast, but to help people look at velocity rather than, than speed. Velocity is speed in a given direction, speed in the right direction. And if you do a little bit of planning and you get the right brains to do it, you can continue to move fast, but just make sure you're moving in the right direction. Look, I really appreciate you coming in and sharing some of the, the findings of the book. I think if you're, a, if you're a technology leader, there's a huge amount of insight there. And it's been out, what, for nearly, nearly 10 months, and it, it has reached the number one slot on Amazon for business books change management, right? So people can find it on Amazon. It's, it's on Amazon. It's just come out as an Audible uh, audiobook oh, here, cool. which I'm really pleased about. Um, and uh, It's the kind of thing I can imagine working quite well as, a, as an audiobook. Yeah, I had to slow down the pace when oh, I was you, reading it. Oh, you did the reading it, it yourself? Reading, oh, right, okay. yeah, which was, which How was, was that? Great. Reading back your own words? Great fun. And, yeah? Yeah. I, I had a, a huge block halfway through writing this, classic imposter syndrome, when mm. I was going, actually, is this serious enough? Is my tone of voice okay? You know, am I, is this the right thing? Um, and in the end, I wrote a book which I thought I would enjoy reading. Yeah. And I read a lot of business books and I just did it. And actually reading it again, I quite enjoyed it. So that felt good. There's, there's a podcast out there. Um, I can't remember the exact title of it, but it, it, it's adults reading things they wrote as kids. Oh, fascinating. And I think that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. It's ingenious. But also I sometimes think that we as adults struggle to read back stuff that we've written even a year ago. So... No, kudos for doing that. Well, like, I think it's, it's, it's a really good tip if you are wanting to perfect your business writing or anything you're writing as well, yeah. to take something and read it out loud um, and see how it feels, um, because then you notice um, the words that jar and um, the ones that feel a little bit corporate, yeah, yeah, for yeah. example. Well, look, again, fantastic uh, that, that you gave some time to come in. Uh, thanks for being on the show, and I hope the book continues to sell well. Thanks, David. Great to be on the show. So there's there's so many like quotable lines in in this. I love it because uh, because obviously the book just has so much that's quotable. But when Sophie talks about the fact that we operate um, in a world with incredible uh, acceleration, but business is so slow, and that was the message that she was getting from friends and peers. Um, it, it stands to reason, right? You've got these huge, in some cases, monolithic organizations, turning them is, is like an oil tanker. And the whole reason that the startup sector has been so successful in partnering with these large organizations is that flexibility that they allow. I, just before we dive into that, I mean, everything Sophie said was so wonderfully looping and cyclical that it all relates to each other and all comes back to, to those sort of headline points, if you will. And I think that you know, when she explains, you know, deadlines are actually a really useful tool to have for delivery. And, you know, startups, we, we've heard it in person, we've heard it on the show, you know, deadlines can really hamper them, especially in the procurement process, but they can also help them get on board and get organized and, and innovate and, you know, meet these deadlines for success. And, you know, big organizations just don't, give their best people to these kind of innovations and these areas of business. Mm. Whereas, you know, Sophie says, 
that LinkBot example she gave, you know, they took the best people out of the business to focus on it. Uh, you know, they innovated within two years that it was out there on the market. And but I just they, think oh, they stuck them in the shed, right? Yeah, they stuck them in a shed, put the breast brains in a shed, and you know, in two years' time, you'll have a perfect product. And but I look, just think this whole thing, this whole interview, the whole book, I kind of listened back to it and I was like, she's not telling me anything I don't know, but what she's no, doing 100%. Is she's articulating it in a way that you can apply it. And I think we talk a lot, we throw a lot of words around and we talk mm. about the flexibility and the agility and the speed and whatever else, but she packages it in a way that you go, oh yeah, of course, right. If we're going to innovate successfully, you know, dedicate be your best people to it, give them focus, give them space, don't put innovation bottom of the list. Actually, here's a structure to implement and do mm -hmm, some of these mm -hmm. things that we talk about all the time. And actually, we wouldn't be talking about all the time if we did them well. Yep. I mean, and that relates to the point that I love and will be sending to every senior person in my new business is sometimes being perfect isn't the best thing, you know, getting it done is better than getting being perfect. And I think that is one of the things, like you say, a lot of this stuff we've heard before, never quite as amazingly uh, worded as Sophie puts it, but you know, that is something I'd never heard before. Done is better than perfect. You know, I was always taught at school, college, my first few jobs, get it right first time. You know, that is, that is the mantra of every retail manager and every sort of middle management person in, in my area of work, you know, get it done, get it right first time, not get mm -hmm. it done and move on to the next one. I think there's so many elements of truth in that. Mm. I mean, of the, of the couple of threads that were, that felt like a slightly fresh remix of some of the stuff that we've heard before, I, I thought that it was really interesting when she talked about pace is the ultimate, ultimate competitive edge of a startup, but there are smart ways to think slowly and we need to mm. help people look at velocity not just yep. speed, so moving quickly in the right direction. I thought that was interesting. I love that, that, yeah. I'll park that one. And I also loved the editing piece. You know, editing is important due to the distractions around us. You know, you talk there about you watching the cricket, but <laughs> other distractions. <laughs> you know, a, a strong leader helps focus everyone. The ability to edit and amplify is critical. That Nike example, 350 projects yep. down to 50 projects. We're an ideas-rich organization, but you still need that focus. I mean, that, I mean we, we, we talk about all these fantastic things that she talks about, but ultimately she's looking at leadership here, you know, and the best leaders enable the best teams. And, and you know, we know that, but, you know, the examples Sophie gives are just uh, so bang on that, like you say, it's a fresh remix of, of what we've heard from, from many people before. Yeah, it's the, uh, the, the, the Ministry of Speed 2019 pool party. Impact over profit. That was another one I liked as well. Um, sorry, I was, I was kind of, my mind was, was drifting to Tuscany there for a second. Uh, look, we'll go to our advert break. Um, <laughs> Sophie, thank you very much for being our guest. Um, absolutely fascinating insight. The book is amazing. Uh, she talks about it being available on Audible and on Amazon. We will include both links in the show notes. Uh, whilst we've also got your attention, We've got a show on the 22nd of August. Have a look for that in the show notes. Loads down there. Uh, but we're going to go to an advert break. And when we're back, we've got a little bit of news where we're talking about Google. It's nearly the summer holidays, but school isn't quite out. Because General Assembly, a pioneer in education and career transformation, specialising in today's most in-demand skills, have an offer for you. So GA offer a wide range of programmes in web development, data science, user experience design, digital marketing, product management, 
and lots more. And for you, for our listeners, they've got an offer of 25% off their classes and workshops by applying the code TECHTALKS25 at the checkout. There are some terms and conditions. They asked me to rank them. Frankly, that's not going to happen. But I can tell you that the code is valid until August the 31st. And it's not applicable to GA's full-time, part-time or online circuit courses. Once the code's applied, workshop tickets are non-transferable. The discount code cannot be retroactively applied to workshop tickets already purchased or used in conjunction with other discount codes. One thing, as a former technology recruiter, I can tell you that there's a real shortage of some of these skills in the market. So with all this beautiful weather that we're having, I reckon there are far worse uses of your time than getting down there and doing a bit of continuous learning. And welcome back to Tech Talks. As mentioned, we are talking about Google. Why are we talking about Google? Well, there is an article in The Verge. Google will charge search providers to be the Android's default in Europe. The top three bidders will join Google on the choice screen. Have you heard about this? No. So this is fascinating. Starting in early 2020, Google (coughs) will present a new search provider screen choice to Android users in Europe when first setting up their phone or tablet. At the minute, Chrome is pretty much your default, right? But there's been an announcement uh, that there's a record setting 5 billion fine against Google for antitrust violations in the EU. Good. Right. Because we know big tech needs some checks and balances. Um, so basically, the ruling is that they are, it's, it's basically to stop illegally tying Chrome and search apps to Android. Uh, the European Commission uh, basically left means for compliance up to Google, which is an error. Because what Google have decided to do is in each country, they will auction and search providers will state the price that they're willing to pay each time a user selects them from the choice screen in the given country. Each country will have a minimum bid threshold. The three highest bidders that meet and or exceed that bid threshold for a given country will appear on the choice screen. Google does not say what a minimum bid threshold is. That's going to be kept private. But they're Wait, also- what's stopping Safari and Safari and the Edge just putting loads of money into this? Uh, well, they won't. I mean, Safari won't be on Android, but what's in the next floor? So get, get this, search providers will be required to pay Google each time a user selects them from the choice screen. Fuck, this, this started off sounding like something that was quite good of Google to do, but now it sounds like it's a money-making scheme. Well, I, f- I find it fascinating because the European Commission left the implementation up to Google uh, you know, in terms of the compliance. As we, as we just said, the European Commission left the means of compliance up to Google bit of an error. So the article goes on to quote um, the CEO of Quant, uh, privacy search, uh, a privacy-focused search engine based in Paris, who basically said it was a total abuse of a dominant position to ask for cash yeah. for, so, for, for, for showing a proposal of alternatives. It's crazy, isn't it? I think that's it? terrible. I think that's awful. I think yeah. that's, you know, it's, it's, it's operating under, it's like we were talking about in the tuck shop last week. You know, Facebook have been told to, that they have to have a committee that sits alongside Zuckerberg, but they didn't say who's hiring that committee or anything like that. It's just, it's like you get half the battle right, but then you stumble when you get to beheading the king. It just doesn't make sense. But, you know, when we're talking about handling pace with grace in, in the interview earlier, how do you get performance without being an arsehole? You know, can you be nice well, and fast? And unfortunately, I, there was a fascinating documentary on BBC a couple of weeks ago, uh, Horizon, all about inside Facebook. And they were like, we're not about making money. First and foremost, foremost, we're about connecting people and making the world a better place. It's like, yeah, but everything you've done suggests that it's kind of about 
data, which is about money, and it's not about doing the right things. I mean, I'm sure there are thousands of really well-meaning, honest, good people in Facebook and Google with heaps of integrity. But unfortunately, oh, yeah. the overall direction of these organizations doesn't mirror that. Yeah. No, you're right. And um, can I, I, I know this might mean we run over a bit, but can I take five seconds just to talk about The Great Hack? Go on. It's a terrible documentary. No, it's a brilliant documentary. No, it's not. It's one of the worst put together documentaries I've ever seen. It has three different narratives that all try and link to each other. You don't like anyone in it. No one's, no one comes out of it you want, you want to win. You don't want this Brittany woman to win. You don't want this professor from America to win. I don't think you're supposed don't to like anybody. It didn't have a narrative through it. Like the, 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 it was meant to be about this American guy getting his data from from uh, Cambridge Analytica, and he couldn't. Spoiler well, alert! Well, sorry. Well, well, yeah, but he wasn't a European citizen, so he wasn't covered by GDPR. But exactly. I, what I will say is that it, I watched it with my in-laws, who bless them. I saw your comment on this. Yeah. I love this. Who yeah, know yeah, nothing yeah, about on. this kind of stuff. It allowed them to go, oh, oh, hang on a minute. So this is why we're being told we should care about our data. Yes. Yes, and if and you didn't know about all of this, then fair enough. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, Jack, yeah, yeah. Jack, get outside of our bubble. Like 95%, like random guess, it might even be more than that, but most people do not understand the value of their data or how their data is being used yeah. or the fact that they are the product. No, I know, and I get that. I just think the documentary should have followed one story. And then we had this random journalist following that Britney lady round. And I was like, well, why isn't this the American guy who's coming over? Like, and, and then we had the, the, the Observer and uh, Guardian journalist. Uh, I forget her name now. Who's clearly a very reputable journalist. And, yeah, yeah. I think. Wallaclomp. Uh, sorry for getting that miles wrong. That's probably one uh, of us is wrong. Clearly one of yeah, us is she, wrong because there. Yeah, Nobel Nobel Prize nominee as well, no less. But she throws that Pulitzer. Britney woman under the bus. No, she absolutely Pulitzer, sorry, yeah. So Britney's like that I forget her surname now, the old director of comms or whatever yeah. for Cambridge Little. She said admitted to meeting Assange, like harmlessly meeting him. I don't know how harmless she can do that or whatever. And then she gets thrown to the dogs by the journalist. And I was like, no one is, I don't want anyone here to win because no one's talking to each other. That was what annoyed me about it. Like you've got all these people seemingly on the same side, but they're all trying to get one over each other. And I just think <laughs> okay. you're acting like big tech here, guys. Okay, we're out of time. Watch it, watch, watch it on Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. Uh, and the podcast will be back with you on Thursday in the capable hands of Jack Richard Pierce and Josie Rollins. And guess what, Dave? I'm going to feedback to you that all of our listeners agreed with me and hated it. I'm going to edit that out. <laughs>